Um, If you have a Bible with you, chances are you had one on your lap or there's one right in front of you, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 14. Uh, During the series of Walking on Water, we're going through this story in Matthew 14, starting with verse 22. It's kind of funny, we, uh, our last series on the story of Joseph, we covered multiple chapters in the book of Genesis, and now we're just covering uh, a few verses, one particular story in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14. I invite you to turn there. If you don't know where, there should be a table of contents in the front or someone next to you can help you uh, turn to the right page. Matthew chapter 14. Now I'm gonna be reading from the New Revised Standard Version, probably not the version you have uh, in the Bible uh, that you have with you, but that's okay because it just makes you pay attention a little bit more if the words are different. So uh, I'm gonna read uh, and the words will be there on the screen uh, as well. Matthew 14, starting with verse 22. It says this, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And this is the verse where we're gonna be concentrating on today, 28. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, Command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on water, and came toward Jesus. So I wasn't with you guys last week, and my family and I, uh, at least one of the days, we went swimming on Lake Erie. And when you prepare for swimming in Lake Erie, you make some assumptions that in early August, the water's gonna be warm enough to swim in. But Lake Erie has its surprises for us, doesn't it? And so as we're preparing, we're expecting warmer water than it really was. And then we have this little encounter that I know you guys can identify with, that when you, you suddenly realize when you put your feet in the water that it's really, really cold. And you know, most of you at least, you know it's kind of like a band-aid. You just got to rip it off. You just really need to dive in. For the best way for your body to acclimate to the temperature of the water is just to just dive in. Just go all head, head under the whole, the whole thing. But there's something within us that doesn't like to, to do that, right? And so we just take little steps here and there, little baby steps deeper and deeper into the water. And what do we end up doing? We just prolong the agony, don't we? And each new time, we have sort of a shock from the cold at new parts of our body and uh, as we go deeper and deeper. And we know this up here, but it's just still a, a little bit harder. I'm pretty sure that literally this is where the phrase testing the waters came from. And it describes something that we tend to do. 
that when there is risk involved, when a situation demands for us to really go all in, to put ourselves completely out there, when a circumstance asks of us to go full dive deep underneath, we hesitate. We hedge our bets. We second guess. We just want to kind of just test the water. We, we want to just make sure. And sometimes then we find ourselves doing strange things, if that's the case. We, we find ourselves um, being afraid and stepping back when that new opportunity at work presents itself. Or maybe we start pushing away someone that we actually start really liking. Or maybe we continually ask for those little spoons at the ice cream store so we can test the different flavors uh, in order to get the right one because the cones are so expensive, (laughs) right? We like to test the waters. There's something about it that we just want to be sure. We just want to to, to make sure if if we're going to put ourselves out there, if we're going to make ourselves vulnerable, if we're going to take a risk, you know, I, I, just, I just want to be sure. And I think this experience captures a lot of what it means to be on the journey of faith. This series, that's what this is about, Walking in Water. It's a series about faith. And not so much about the faith in, in terms of believing all the right things and knowing all the right things and all that. That's important. But, but this series is about your faith. The, the Greek word for faith in the New Testament was originally written in Greek The Greek word for faith means faith uh, and, at the same time, faithfulness. And so it gives us this idea that there's faith in action, that faith is something that we live out, that faith is something that we experience, that faith is something that we have more or less of depending on how our journey is, is going. And we see that in the different stories, and especially we'll see that in this story in Matthew chapter 14. It is a faith journey, that as we are called to go deeper, to dive deeper, we sometimes might find ourselves hedging our bets a little bit, second guessing a little bit, testing the waters uh, a little bit. So I wanna talk about faith, and my hope is through the, these next uh, three weeks is that we would find a great hope and great confidence, a growing sense of confidence and trust with this thing called called faith. That somehow we would find our faith increasing as we're experiencing the challenge and the call to dive deeper and to go out into the waters. So I wanna begin, since we're talking about great risks, I wanna start talking about faith in science. (laughs) Science, is about observation. It's about seeing what we can see and and, and making an observation. Faith is about interpreting what is observed. And this happens in the Bible, and it happens all, happened all throughout history. People, even ancient people, would observe something and then begin to interpret it. And there was this relationship between, there is this relationship between faith and science where science would simply observe and faith would interpret and find its meaning behind it. In the ancient people, they didn't have all the technology and scientific methods that that we have today. 
And so the ancient people would simply observe something and then their faith would inform how, what it means, how to interpret that. Now this is not just the Hebrew people that we read about in the Old Testament or the, the Christians that we read about in the New Testament. People all around the world, there's something about faith. There are people of faith all around the world. They may not just be of the Christian faith, but there are people that are, have this sense to be called to faith because what they observe, there's something within them that says there's, there's meaning behind it, that, the, that there's interpretation behind it, that I'm not just seeing what I see, but what I see actually means something. Now, in the Old Testament, we see this uh, many times, but also in the ancient cultures of the world, that when they would observe something, even something simple as ancient people would, they would make certain uh, uh, faith uh, uh, beliefs about that. And some of it was more of a superstitious sort of nature. So one example of that is the sea. The observation that people made in the ancient world is something that we know full well, which is we were not designed to live underwater. If we sink underwater, we'll run out of air and we'll drown. And so people began to ask, what does this mean? What might there be with this thing called the sea? And throughout the ancient scriptures and, and what we find even in ancient cultures as well is the sea began to grow to symbolize something and to carry a great deal of meaning because people of the ancient world associated with risk and chaos and danger. To go out on the sea, as much as you think that your boat is stable, to go out on the sea was to put your life at risk. And so there was superstition around the sea, around the waters, around the deep. And conversely to that, we can see in the story of Noah that the land symbolized God's order and hope and promise for the future. There was a distinction between the waters and the land. Now you don't need to know all of that to know that the disciples, when they're out on the water in Matthew 14, well, they might be in a little bit of trouble because the wind was against them and there's other stories about how the disciples were out at sea and something goes wrong. Maybe they can't catch their fish or maybe a storm comes over them. And so that's what, that's sort of the plain meaning. But in the ancient world, especially in the first century, there still existed these superstitions of what the sea would represent. That it would represent chaos. That it would represent um, difficulty and hardship, something that was against them, that if they didn't have help, they would lose their lives. So Jesus, after dismissing the disciples, and Pastor Steve talked about this last week, after dismissing the disciples, they were out at sea. The next morning, Jesus comes strolling along on the water to meet them. And their superstitious minds are already being triggered in this scenario. Because when they see Jesus, they just can't believe it, and it seems more reasonable to them in their superstitious minds that it's a ghost and not Jesus. But Jesus then identifies himself, and Peter then 
gives a response. And we find that in verse 28. He says, Lord, if it is you, if it really is you, call me or command me to come out on the water. Peter is testing the waters. He just wants to be sure that this actually isn't a ghost, as ridiculous as that sounds. He just wants to be sure that something else, something foul, isn't at play. He just wants to be sure that his life is not in danger. He just wants to hedge his bets a little bit. He just wants to hesitate and stop for a second. He just wants to test the waters just to be sure. And so he puts Jesus to the test. He makes Jesus prove himself on top of all of that. Keep in mind, he was walking on water to prove himself once more. But there were consequences to this approach. It wasn't so much that Peter was doubting, it was the approach that Peter was taking as a result of his doubt. It wasn't so much that Peter was doubting, but it was out of, out of his own doubt was going back to God and saying, you're gonna have to prove it to me. I'm gonna stay in this boat and you need to prove it to me. Interestingly enough, if you go back to Matthew chapter four, there's similar language being expressed, but not from Peter this time, this time from Satan. Actually, it doesn't say Satan, the word is the tempter. Jesus is going out into the wilderness. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted by Satan uh, in the wilderness. And it says in chapter four, verse three, that the tempter came and said to him, listen to this, if you are the son of God, like if you really are what you claim to be, if you really are who you say you are, prove it to me. Prove it to me. I want a sign. Prove it to me. Turn these stones, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Prove it to me. Has anyone been there before? That all we know is what we know. That when we're surrounded by the waves and the seas and the chaos of our life and we're just trying to get through it and all we can focus on are the problems uh, from one day to the next and we're overwhelmed by them, we're overcome by them, we don't know what to do but just to fight through it each and every day. And that we hear things like God is good and God is faithful and God is going to get us through, you know, the bumper sticker type of stuff. And we hear these things and we, we want to believe in them but there's something within us that says, yeah, but I'm not seeing that right now. I'm seeing my waves. I'm seeing my problems. I'm seeing the chaos of my seas. God, you're gonna have to prove it. You're gonna have to prove it in this situation. But in so doing, Peter creates a consequence and effect that I don't think he really intended to create replicating or repeating very similarly the voice of the tempter who did the exact same thing to Jesus. Jesus had heard those words before. He placed the burden of proof on 
Jesus himself. And in so doing, he halted the progress of Jesus who was making his way toward the boat. There are two other versions of this story, one in the book of Mark and one in the book of John. Both of those accounts of this story don't have this little exchange between Jesus and Peter. What they say is that simply Jesus got into the boat. Jesus was making his way to the boat. And when Jesus was in ear, within earshot of the boat to interact with the disciples, Peter says, hold on a second, just stay out there. Just, stay, just, just hold, hold on a second. I, I gotta figure this out before you come any closer. He didn't realize that in his effort to second guess, to figure it out, to, to, to manage the situation, he didn't realize that in his attempt to get a handle on things, he was unintentionally keeping Jesus at a distance and keeping Jesus from coming close to them in the boat. This idea of proximity is actually kind of important in this particular story. Jesus had sent the disciples out into the water by himself while he went alone to pray. This is the first time Jesus sends the disciples out by themselves like that, dismisses them like that in the book of Matthew. And that there's a recording of them sort of being alone. There's a, a distance that is created and that Jesus is, is making his way closer to them. The closeness is important. Do you remember when Pastor Steve spoke last week, he talked about when Jesus identifies himself? He says, now some translations would just say, you know, it is I, or um, have courage, it is I, or uh, do not fear, it's me. In other words, it's like, hey guys, it's me, I'm here, can't you see? It's, it's not a ghost, it's actually me. But there's coded language in the scriptures, and Pastor Steve talked about that. The way in which Jesus said it is that it's not just it is I, but he used the term I am. I am. And this was important um, not only for the interaction of Jesus and the disciples, but the world of Matthew when he's collecting these stories and putting it into written form there was a lot of discrepancy. Is Jesus really the, one, the Christ? Is Jesus really the Son of God? Is it, is it really him? There were false stories uh, against that idea. And so it's the, the, the testimony of the scripture, not just, hey, it's me walking on water, but no, I am. It's not just me, Jesus, your, your teacher and your rabbi and your friend. It's me, the divinity of Christ. God in the flesh, it's me, I am here. When Jesus reveals himself, his divine self, there's something that's implied in there that sometimes we kind of gloss over at, at times and, and that is just that we're not God. <laughs> that Jesus is doing what we otherwise as human beings would not be able to do. And I know that sounds really sort of plain and matter of fact, but sometimes it's hard to really grasp that. That the truly, the definition of what it means to be human is the fact that we're just not God. And the fact to worship God means that God 
is able far beyond what we can do or know or um, succeed in. One of my seminary professors, she was teaching the Old Testament and he was just like, well, if you wanna sum up um, the first five books of the Bible, uh, here's the statement uh, from my professor Dan Hawk. He said, there's a God and I'm not him. If you just want to know like what it's, you know, all of it captures, there is a God and I'm not that God. And so inherently there's this vast gulf between what it means to be God and what it means to be human. That there's this great divide between the divine and the human. That there's things that God knows and there are things that God does that we don't know or we can't do by definition. And so as Jesus sends the disciples far off, we see an example of that divide, of that gulf. That on one hand, on the land is Christ and on the other, in the seas are are his disciples and in between them are the chaos of waters in the deep. And yet, it is the work of God as Jesus Christ walks on top of the water so that they can become closer. So the proximity between God and God's beloved can come closer. Jesus' whole point was to show that he wants to be closer to the disciples that he loved so dearly. And it's Peter who right when he's getting so close, hold on a second, Jesus. Just stay out there for just a second. I've got to figure this out. I've got to figure this out. To have faith means that we don't know. To have faith inherently means that we can't do it. To have faith means that we are limited and we can only go so far. To have faith means that we can't figure it out for ourselves. Sometimes we get into this mindset, I think, that if we can figure more out or if we can know better if we, or we can get our lives put together more or we can understand things a little bit better, then we're going to have faith. But it doesn't work that way, does it? The very definition of faith is that you won't know and you can't do. And yet God does and God knows. And we take that step of faith, the unknowing, unaccomplishing step of faith to come closer to God. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way. He said, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole Staircase. We are called to have faith. And it's important because it supersedes, it transcends what we don't know and what we can't do. It transcends our accomplishments, our abilities, our knowledge, our experience. Your resume has nothing to do with faith. Because Faith is what helps us to tread the waters of the unknown and what we can't accomplish. And yet we try. We try. 
we build structures, sturdy boats, to help us navigate the waters. We build structures of our, of our lives, our schedules, the communities that we associate with, the family members that we spend time with or don't spend time with. We create structures of our, of our schedule and our activities and the people that we associate with. We create structures even of our faith, what church we go to, what kind of beliefs that we have or don't have. We create structures so that we can manage the waters. And isn't it interesting that it's out of the boat that Jesus calls Peter. It's out of the boat that Jesus calls Peter. So I wanna ask you, what, what might your boat be? What is your boat? What, what is the, the structure, the, the planning, the crafting of your life that you have created to keep it nice and safe and manageable and controllable and uh, 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 avoiding fears? What structures have you built for yourself, for your, even for your faith and your life, so as to not go so far that you don't have to go jump in the waters? What are those structures? John Ortberg um, writes this great book called If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. And uh, he has something really cool to say about this. He says, the boat is whatever represents safety and security to you apart from God himself. Your boat is whatever you are tempted to put your trust in, especially when life gets a little stormy. Your boat is whatever keeps you from joining Jesus on the waves. Your boat is whatever pulls you away from the high adventure of extreme discipleship. You want to know what your boat is? Listen to this. Your fear will tell you. Whatever you're afraid of, that will tell you what, you're, what you've made a boat, how you've made a boat. It will signal to you what that boat might be. When Peter challenges Jesus and puts Jesus to the test, he probably didn't know what he was doing. But Jesus says, come on. Do you want to come out on the water? Come out onto the water. If we are to have faith, if we are to take the next step of faith, if we are to increase our faith, if we are to increase our faith, not just to have faith and to do fun things like walk on water, but to get closer to Jesus, then we have to step out of the boat. We have to step out of the structures that we've created to manage everything. We have to step out of the the, the structures that we've built for our lives to, to promote safety and security. We have to step out of the boat. And this is sometimes hard for us when we think about faith because we wanna create, as a church, we wanna create a safe space, right? That, that there are all kinds of chaotic waters out in this world and at least we have this space where it can be safe for folks. And you know what? Sometimes we really need that place of safety. But you're not meant to live here. If you are, we should talk. It's a big building. Maybe you are. I don't know. But you're not meant to live here, right? After our worship service, we send you out. We send you forth back into the waters. And yet how many times have we coined our faith 
with, with, with the character of safety. That, that the goal of our faith is to keep it safe and to keep it comfortable and to keep it uh, 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 away from our fears and our troubles. I had a friend who really believed this and we were having a discussion about this and he said, well, look, if that's the cliff over there, the best way to not fall over the cliff is to stay as far away from it as possible. Okay, I, I understand that. Here's the problem though. Jesus lived on the edge. Jesus spent time and had dinner with the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes, the people that were on the edge, the margins, the outsiders, the people that were cast out, the people that were living on the edges of society. Those were the people that Jesus spent time with, that he had dinner with at their house. That's where Jesus is. And what Peter's learning here is that if he's going to take that next step closer to Jesus, if he's going to have an increased step of faith closer to Jesus, he's got to get out of that boat. So here now again, verse 28 and 29. It says, Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So this, this is interesting. So Peter got out of the boat and he started walking on water. I guess, my guess is that a lot of you have already read this story many, many times. Has it really sunk in that Peter, you know, the knucklehead, the guy that we, all, we always, you know, identify with because he puts his foot in his mouth and that guy walked on water. Like something happened when he took that step out of the boat, something happened where that, uh, that, that really in many ways failure of a man the one who wasn't afraid to put himself out there and to, and, and to show his foibles and flaws, the, the one who was full of mistakes, that's the guy that walked on water. Peter walked on water. Isn't it interesting that when Peter took the step of faith out of his boat closer to Jesus, something happened where God's power was at work on Peter. God's power, two things. God's power is a shared power. God shares his power through faith. I don't know how it all works. Sometimes it's so evident when we see the power of God in miraculous, supernatural ways. Sometimes we don't, and I don't know what's going on there. But God shares his power. And the other thing, that power is real. Like it's not just something that we sing about or tell about or just sort of continue to repeat over and over with our hands, our fingers in our ears and, and hopes that it finally will sink in. But it's, it's real. That God's power is not just something in name only or just something on paper. But God's power is real. It's a shared power. And it's very real. I want to ask you um, maybe a tough question. Why are you here? Why are you here? Some of you may be like, well, what do you mean? I've been in churches every Sunday for my whole life. What are you talking about? Why are you here? If you are an exploring person and you don't know about this whole faith stuff and you certainly don't know about God or Jesus or anything, Maybe there's something within you 
that has at least come to this place that you can't manage life in your own boat. That, that you can't just, there's more than what you've made it. And you're here to kind of explore what that might be. Some of you have been in church your whole lives, Mr. and Mrs. Super Christian. You got all the bumper stickers on your car. You know all the songs we sing by heart because you listen to Christian radio. For those of you that have been a Christian a long time, why are you here? And have you maybe forgotten and because you have built church into the fabric of your life, have you maybe forgotten the why? Why are you here? That you also, at some point in your life, have realized that you also can't manage your boat either. Even the boat that is a nice faith-based boat. But you can't do it either. And that you're here because God knows and God can and you just hear this voice of Jesus saying, just come on out, <laughs> come on out, come on out. At a great risk, I wanna share something with you guys. So over the last couple of months, um, I have been um, sort of wrestling with my faith. And last week I, I went on a backpacking trip with my very close buddy who um, been working with me on, on all of this. And we were backpacking and I suddenly, I'm in this, these, this wooded area and I, I see these like rock faces, beautiful rock faces, just litter throughout the, the hillside. All the trees and everything, it's just, this just this beautiful landscape. And before that moment when I sort of just saw everything, before that moment I'm just in my own mind and I'm just going, thinking way too much. You know, when you're out, that's all you can do is think. (laughs) And I'm in my own mind, I'm thinking, and I see all of this. And I felt like God spoke to me. And he challenged me and he said, your God the God that you've constructed, the God that you've come to believe in this far, isn't big enough. Your God isn't big enough. And that whatever wall that you've hit is because you've hit the ceiling of whatever you've done and you need to break through. And I share this with you um, because this particular sermon was on the schedule and I was already scheduled to preach it and I figured I better not be a fraud (laughs) and to kind of let you in on in the hopes that maybe some of you can identify with this. And maybe God's challenge to me can also be God's voice to you. Have you been keeping God too small? Have you been making a boat that that is, is, is custom made for the God that, that you've believed in, but now you're suddenly realizing that it's not big enough and you're scared. Maybe your God isn't big enough. Maybe through all of your management and planning and scheduling and all the, the work that you would do to, 
to navigate life, maybe all of that's just not big enough. Maybe God doesn't fit in that anymore and God's calling you out into something better, more frightening, more adventurous, more real. Maybe God's calling you out of your boat. Would you sing with me? If you hear right in this moment, if you hear the voice of Jesus saying, come on out, come on out, I want to pray with you. I'm going to just step down here as we sing a little bit. And I'm not going to ask you, you know, what's going on in your life and all of that. Just come up. I'm going to pray with you. And elders, if you're here too, maybe you can come up and help me uh, with this. I just want to pray with you to let you know that, look, I get it. We get it. The struggle of faith is real for, for everybody. And yet, you know what, guys? I, I can't get rid of this, this call, this, this beckoning. It's, come on, come on out in the water. Come on out. Even when I'm in my own mind, come on out in the water, guys. Come on out in the water. If you're hearing that call, just as a, a symbol of maybe taking that step out, would you come up and, and let me pray with you?
really captured in that one moment where Peter hears the call and we don't, we don't, we don't get any timeline or if he responded right away, but, but sometimes life is just captured in that, that small moment where, where Jesus calls and, and Peter is thinking about taking that step. So that might capture a lot of where we are at, just that we're not quite sure. So I pray that you'd be encouraged, that the call would get louder, and that it would overshadow the other voices and distractions and temptations that we might face, that it would get louder and louder to the point that we just can't ignore it any longer, and then that we would have the courage, the strength to take that step. We're sending you out now into the waters of this world. You are not to remain here, but to go out and to represent the the love and the grace and the mercy and the presence of God. I know that sounds like a lot, but it's not you. It's God through you. So go in his name and through his power and through his might. And maybe you'll find yourself walking on water. Go in his name. Amen.